Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, I'm Jason, and I support Gen X Grown Up on Patreon. You should do the same, because the world just needs more GXG to make it a better place. Just go to genxgrownup.com slash Patreon to donate to the cause. Gen X Grown Up is a YouTube channel website and audio podcast you're listening to right now. All made for and by people who love exploring media, games, tech, and toys of yesterday and today through the eyes of Gen Xers who refuse to grow up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a Welcome back, Gen X Grown Up Podcast listeners, to this, the backtrack edition of the Gen X Grown Up Podcast. I am John. Joining me, as always, of course, is George. Hey, how's it going, guys? Wouldn't be a show without Mo. Hey, man. Hey, everybody. You know, four decades ago, just when video games seemed to be the next big thing, the bottom dropped out. (laughs) Compounding problems like market confusion, consumer confidence, and game quality, to name just a few, nearly demolished a seemingly unstoppable new industry. They ultimately made a comeback, but the future looked bleak when the video game crash of 83 swept through North America. That's just ahead in this backtrack edition of the show. Before we get to that, and there's so much to get to, so stick around. (laughs) It is time for some fourth listener email. And this time around, our fourth listener is John V, who dropped us a line in our inbox. Subject of his email is Star Wars Trivial Pursuit. Like it already. Ah, Our backtrack. Like it already. There you go, Mo. Mm -hmm. So this is a great email. I almost didn't do any editing, so forgive me if this is long. Here we go. John says, on a cool spring day in 1999, our core of four was camped outside of the Hollywood Theater in Appleton, Wisconsin with others waiting overnight to buy tickets for the opening showing of The Phantom Menace. (laughs) Very cool. (laughs) You don't Ah. find this camaraderie buying tickets online today. (laughs) Nope. Nope. No tent set up down the street. None of that stuff we used to do. Mm -mm. He says, to pass time, someone brought Star Wars Trivial Pursuit and the rules of acceptable alternative answers was invoked. Mm -hmm. For example, if the correct answer to a question was blaster saying gun was not acceptable however if the correct answer was lando calrissian an answer of colt 45 was not only acceptable but encouraged (laughs) (laughs) okay i get it that's cool i like that (laughs) all right we get you over the years our movie going group would expand and contract but the core of four was there for every star wars movie opening through the rise of skywalker wow this past summer one of our core gary a friend of 27 years passed away unexpectedly in his early 50s. Mm. Looking at my own copy of Star Wars Trivial Pursuit brings back good memories. And he caps off this email with words to live by. John, very well written. He says, play all the games, spend all the time, enjoy all your friends. John, Mm. poignant, to the point, well said. I don't have anything to add. You're right. (laughs) You're absolutely right. End of the episode. I'm I'm good to go. Bye-bye, everybody. I'm John. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing to add. John, that's exactly the feeling that 
that we all have that feeling of nostalgia, old friends. You can't make new old friends as the saying goes, right? Those people. And we're all getting that age. We're starting to lose some of the people we care most about. So live it while you got it, right? I mean, no kidding. Thank you so much, John, so much for writing in. We appreciate your email. We appreciate every time one of our fourth listeners takes the time to write in. If you would like your email featured here on the show, it is drop dead easy. Just hit us up at podcast at genxgrownup.com. Read them all. And eventually it'll probably make an episode just like John's. Okay. With that good business behind us, it is time to jump into the body of the 1983 video game crash right after this. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. You're listening to Gen X Grown Up. But if you have a friend who's not yet listening, why not? Tell them about us. They'll thank you later. Enter the imagination of Atari. The imagination that brings you the world's most popular video games. Like Dig Dug, where you make your own maze, then have to deal with it. Kangaroo, where you have to save the baby from ferocious monkeys. And Sorcerer's Apprentice, where the magic of Disney and Atari meet. Experience the challenges and the thrills that come only from the imagination of Atari. The story of the 1983 video game market crash is a story like any other. It has a beginning and it has a middle where the chaos (laughs) took place. And it has a happy ending because, I mean, you're here with us in the present and you know video games are not gone, right? They're not, they're not hula hoops. Yep. They're yeah. they're a big deal, right? <laughs> but in order to get to that middle and to the happy ending, we have to start at the beginning, the rise of video games and the consoles. And I know, George, you did a bunch of digging into a lot of the numbers and yeah. the rise of that. So why don't you start by sharing that bit of that with us? Yeah, I mean, so there's a lot out there. And depending upon where you look, of course, you're going to maybe come across slightly different numbers. So take our numbers with a grain of salt. I found them <laughs> in a couple of different places that... Mm-hmm. I feel were um, were reliable, but, you know, I could be completely off in this day and age. However, what we're talking about are the first gen consoles. These are game systems that came out in 1972. Now, remember, this is before cartridges, right? These Mm -hmm. are whole systems that did a specific thing. So you're talking about things like the Magnavox Odyssey, which came out in 72 Mm -hmm. that had 367,000 units sold at Mm -hmm. $100 a pop. Wow. In 72 72. to 79. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you're talking about like Coleco. They came out with their first one called the Telstar. These mm-hmm. are all Pong style things. Magnavox also came out with the Odyssey 100 and 200, another mm-hmm. 100,000 each on those. Uh, Nintendo, believe it or not, way back in 1972 had a console called the Shooting Gallery that they released. Hmm. So this is one of their first forays. Only did 20,000 units. That's why you never heard of it, but it was there. (laughs) Okay. One of the big ones, and arguably, I think you're going to say that somebody copied somebody, and I'm not going to say who or why or how, but Pong was (laughs) the game, and you had one from Sears called the Telegames Pong, and one from Atari called Home Pong. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Sears, given the fact that they had their own retail stores... (laughs) Kicked Atari's ass, 150,000 to 50,000 units sold. 
what you're talking about is this first generation, this thing that gets people's juices flowing for gaming at home that's not mm-hmm. on a board or with some dice or with some cards. This mm-hmm. is on your television, whatever form that took. There were some other little things, like I found this one, 16,000 called Name of the Game. I'm only throwing that out there because there's going to be one of our listeners going, you didn't talk about, <laughs> you didn't talk about Allied thing, <laughs> from Allied System. Anyway, lots of good stuff in that first gen, but it's not the first gen that we really focus on when we're talking about the crash. Yeah. It's really the second gen, right? right? The first gen laid the groundwork so that it was an industry in the first place. Right. Exactly. And then like consumers were like, well, this is cool. What else you got? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. (laughs) What you're talking about here are that first wave of cartridge-based systems. Mm. Granddaddy of them all, largest seller. I... I don't know. Maybe it's the largest seller of any console of all time. I remember hearing that at some point. Uh, I know the Commodore 64 and the PC section was that Mm -hmm. for a long time. The Atari VCS slash 2600, whatever you want to call it, released in 1977 up until the point when they stopped counting 25 million units sold. Now, how many units of those have been resold since then? Probably hundreds of millions. (laughs) Right. Triple that. I know I bought two or three off of eBay. Me too. Still bow. (laughs) You've also got some really solid contenders that some argue are better than the Atari VCS. ColecoVision, 6 million of those units. Mm -hmm. In television, released in 1979, 3 million of those. That was a big one. I remember that. Yeah. One of my personal favorites that I had, it was a gift given to my father for winning some contest at his grocery store. Yep. <laughs> the Magnavox Odyssey 2, 2 million of those units went out there. John, I think you like this console a little bit, the Atari 5200, which came out <laughs> obviously after the 2600. Yeah, and like I always wanted one. Another million of those units. I didn't get one until last year. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's the first time I actually owned one that I finally got because it was basically the same chipset as my beloved Atari 8-bit computer, yeah. and I knew how good those games were mm-hmm. but i'm looking at your stats here the 2600 sold 25 million units yeah. 1 million units right and that was in 82 the year mm-hmm. right before the bubble burst it's starting to make sense exactly yep. yeah right that's when we're getting to that time frame mm-hmm. then what i think I've, I've seen enough of those games that made america kind of segment documentary things to talk about this in somewhat of a knowledgeable fashion Fairchild Channel F from Mm -hmm. Fairchild only did 350,000 units, but most agree that it was the first cartridge system. Mm -hmm. Now, how its cartridges got the games on your screen (laughs) leaves a little bit of argument there based on the 2600 Hmm. and ColecoVision and so on and so forth. But most people agree that that was the very first system, and yet it was the least selling of all the second-gen systems, which is why Fairchild didn't really last. We almost didn't hear about them until we started looking back at gaming history, and then you're like, oh, yeah, I never heard of it. And like they were the progenitor of the idea of swappable games. And that swappable game idea is going to be a recurring theme when you can start printing just software Mm -hmm. to go with these consoles. That's where this bubble starts to get bigger and bigger and leading toward that burden. Bursting point. A hundred percent. And truthfully, I kind of want to ask a question before I get into this next little part, before we move out of this segment. 
of that list of the second gen consoles, not the first gen, because mm-hmm. only Mo was old enough to earn own. The John first owned gen. one, <laughs> but it's wasted. Just... No, he didn't. Yeah, I had the I had the Telegames Pong. I hit that one. That was the one I got. that okay. I took back right. to the store to get my twenty six hundred. Actually, oh, you took it back. That's right. right. See, right. Anyway. But you took it back, so, so it you're right. That's Just right. Because uh, <laughs> one the best of the second gen consoles. <laughs> we've already mentioned that I had the Odyssey two. Did you guys have more than one on that list? And what were they? John, start with you. I only ever had the Atari 2600 on that list. I coveted wow. the rest. Okay. I was dying for a ColecoVision. <laughs> I was dying for a 5200. But I mean, back then, look, today, what game system do you have? Which one do you need? I've got an Xbox. I got a PS4. Right. I got a Switch, right? Back then, like it was like a water heater. It was like, you've already got a game system. Right. You don't need another game system. It was just a piece of hardware that parents thought it was like stereo equipment, right? Like, no, they're different. And an expensive mm-hmm. piece Very of hardware. expensive, yeah. That 5200 released it, released it in 1982 at $270. It's like $900 today. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was happy to have what I had. I asked for the others, but never got them. I wanted them, but mm. never got them. What about you, Mo? Uh, of all the ones on that list, the only one I own, we had a Magnavox. We had an Odyssey 2. Okay. Um, and the Atari. That's it. So those two. No, I didn't have the Atari. I went to a friend's house to play Atari. Oh, you oh, didn't wow. have one yourself? I thought I forgot Mm-mm. that. That's right. You didn't have one yourself. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My best friend had one, so we spent a lot of time there. But <laughs> <laughs> George, what about you? Well, so obviously I had the Odyssey 2 that I talked about. I did have Mm -hmm. the Atari VCS. I didn't have, although I wanted it, I didn't have the Intellivision. I played that at a friend's across the street house. Mm -hmm. I have one now, thanks to your generosity, but I didn't have one then. Um, never had the Fairchild, hadn't even heard of it. The ColecoVision <laughs> I'd heard of, but didn't really have much of an interest because the Intellivision looked like the ColecoVision in a lot of ways. So I didn't know that they were different things at that uh, age. I was still I yeah. pretty young. Because um, the Intellivision came out much earlier. Thing. Yeah, it did. Yeah. yeah. So, kids. Um, all right. Well, let's get into the last part of all this research that I did. We get into okay. the meat of the subject after that. I just pulled up a list of the top selling games on a lot of those coveted second gen systems. Like, cause I thought it was important mm-hmm. to talk about the cartridges because we're talking about the game crash yep. and the cartridges and the games have a lot to do with the game crash, oh, yeah. maybe more so than the consoles. Yeah. First one, Atari VCS 2600 leading seller, 25 million units. What do you guys think was the number one cartridge without looking at the sheet? What do you think was the number one cartridge sold for that system? I would have said something from Activision, like a Pitfall or something. Would have been my. Was it like Yars Revenge? No. Yeah. Great game. Yars Revenge, Pitfall. Great choices. Not even fucking close, ladies and gentlemen. $8 million, my Pac Man cartridge. <laughs> yes, sir. The best game on the 2600. Oh, and $7 million were returned. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Look, I, as much as I crap on that Pac Man, when I had it, I loved it. Even though it was it right? It was Pac-Man right. as close as I could get it in my house. So I played it. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, John, you've got this next one in the bag. ColecoVision, top selling game on that system. You got to know what this one is. Donkey it. Kong is what sold that system. It's got to be, everybody yeah. had that. Yeah. That's the cheapest two cartridge you get because they made a million. Yeah. How yeah, many? Absolutely. Two million. Two million. Oh, crap. Damn. Yeah. Okay. I mean, remember the ColecoVision had a smaller base than the mm-hmm. VCS. So, That's true. Yep. Yeah. Good, solid system. In television, this one's going to throw you for a little bit of a loop. So you think of great games. You think of Pac-Man. You think of Donkey Kong. You think 
of Qbert, you think of Galaga, mm-hmm. Galaxian, all those games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In television, nope. Las Vegas Poker and Blackjack, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, you know, <laughs> you know that was one of the launch titles, and I think I remember mm-hmm. reading that it was one of the best of the like four or five launch titles they had. So I bet for the first few months, everybody bought that because that's all there was. That had to help them yeah. a lot. Exactly. Also, it came out in '79 before a lot of the arcade games came out. Even you know there was no pack before the ports were happening. Yeah, yeah. that's true too. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But still though. So just a smidge under 2 million units. Jeez. So, mm-hmm. Okay. John, had you had your 5200 that you coveted so much, mm-hmm. you could have gotten Galaxian as the top selling cartridge of its day. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, nice. I think I think they packed Pac-Man into that maybe for so for Galaxian maybe. to win out they had to it had to be good yeah. Now I couldn't find any statistics on how many units, but it's okay. listed on three different sites as the top seven. As the number one, for that I mean system. I, I, so I believe that for sure. Yeah, Glass yeah. was a popular game. Uh, Fairchild Channel F. We all know how that system worked with its cartridges. Its cartridges were essentially just dip switches mm-hmm. for the built-in games on the console. <laughs> <laughs> and the most popular built-in game on that console was hockey slash tennis, which is essentially Pong, but yeah. with a cartridge now. <laughs> yeah, Pong with two things that are just one on each side. Right. Yeah. It's like you were buying an unlock key for the game that was really already in there. It's like yeah. modern right. DLC almost. It's like, oh, well, to play as this character, like, you know, I've already downloaded it. It just won't let me use it. <laughs> yeah. Ahead of its time. And then the final one, the unit that had sold the least amount at this point next to the Odyssey, the Magnavox Odyssey 2, had a game that I never owned, but now I kind of want to go get it. Pickaxe Pete slash Casey's Crazy Chase, all with K's. Never heard of that. Pickaxe Pete is good. I, yeah. I, I That's is it? maybe okay. the only game I ever played on it. Yeah, because it was... Wow. I forget. Huh. How do you describe it? It's kind of, it was the most Donkey Kong looking of the games on Magnavox, okay. which is why I played it. Gotcha. But it was like a platformer and your little guy was like, it was almost like a cr- mashup between Pac-Man and Donkey Kong. Like he was picking up dots or something, maybe gold. I forget. What oh, okay. Yeah. There you go. I mean, so I took my time that I've had over the last few weeks and put together all those statistics because we needed to kind of set the stage. That's right. For the discussion, right? We're talking big numbers here. Yeah. I mean, for the day, 100%. Yeah. And imagine if you're listening to this and your eyes are glazing over because we're naming all these platforms, we're naming all (laughs) these games and all these dollars and all these amounts. You're the consumer in 1983. You are starting to feel what was happening to the general public was like, (laughs) for Christ's sake, there's so many. How do I pick what to play and which one is good? And is it going to be worth my money? All of that led up to those are contributing causes. We get back from this break. We're going to talk about all those and what led to the inevitable crash of video games in 1983. So stick around. Hit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Right on. Be sure to subscribe to or follow Gen X Grown Up wherever you listen. And while you're there, rate and review the show too. It helps more than you know. Not every great movie or great arcade game makes a great home video game. That's why when Mattel Electronics turned Tron into Tron Home Video Games, we made sure the excitement of Tron gameplay found its way into your home. 
You'll know it the moment you square off against a recognizer, if you last that long. Four great Tron games, two for Intellivision, two for Atari 2600. From Mattel Electronics, games as good as we say they are, maybe better. Now, you will often heard it said, the video game crash of 1983, the video game crash of 1983. However, mm. many people will say, slow your roll there. This really just affected North America. And we've qualified it a few times already yeah. in this podcast. And that is kind of true. Uh, in fact, in Japan, it was called the Atari shock. They didn't call it a crash because it's like <laughs> Atari over there in America, they had a problem because in Europe, <laughs> all throughout Japan, they were still doing video games fine. I mean, they, they didn't have that big of a problem sure. because they didn't right. have the commercial proliferation that we had here in North America. Now, what I will posit, and we'll see by the end of this episode, that while it didn't directly hit the other parts of the world because of the impact it had on North America and the United States in general's economy, it had ripple effects around the world. And we have some stats sure. to show that. So what do we mean by the crash? Let me put it in the most blunt terms possible. And <laughs> this is something that I can't believe George didn't write this, or maybe he was about to once I already put it in here. <laughs> Here's the thing. The video game crash actually occurred between 82 and 85, though 83 is kind of where it started to really take its, its yeah, nosedive. Right. In 1982, the video game market was a $3.2 billion industry. Mm -hmm. By the end of 1985, the precipitous drop of 97% made it a $100 million industry. Mm. 97%. Oh, wow. This was something that there's no end in sight. It's just a money way to print yeah. money. That's what Atari thought. That's what all these peripheral yeah. companies thought. That's what third party devs thought. And they were wrong. And it nearly yeah. killed the industry. Well, yeah. I mean, like you said, I mean, it was everyone saw people making a ton of money. So everybody started jumping into the market. Right. I mean, right. Mm -hmm. he said, like you yep. like you were talking, George, you had the Magnafox, you had the Fairchild that no one heard of. Um, <laughs> the Atari 2600, <laughs> right. television, ColecoVision. Then they had like three versions of Ataris that came out, right? The 2600, 5200, 7800 eventually. Yep. You yep. know, mm -hmm. I mean, no, every and every parent probably bought their child the wrong one. You know, <laughs> it's like, I mean, you got me the Magnavox. <laughs> I wanted this one. You know, I mean, it's. It's, well, and, and they were they were all wrong for different reasons, right? Yeah. I mean, so if you mm -hmm. got your kid the Atari twenty six hundred, mm -hmm. that's wrong because how difficult was it to figure out what games to get from that point forward? Is, oh, because yeah. there were Ridiculous. so many games for that yeah. system, your kid was always going to want the thing you didn't buy. Yeah. If you got the ColecoVision, you didn't have the games available. Maybe that the right. kid wanted mm -hmm. for the twenty six hundred. Same yep. thing with all the others. You're right that it was always a wrong choice for every parent because they could only choose one. They did their mm -hmm. dollars didn't stretch the way yeah. that they could. And the systems were so disparate and were so localized that you could only use their things. It's not mm -hmm. like today where the mm -hmm. game gets released on 27 platforms all nope. at the same time. Yeah, with a few mm -hmm. exceptions, but yeah. Yeah. And you needed to get the one that you're kids friends had because they wanted to trade cartridges mm -hmm. back and forth and so i gotta right. get the one oh, right. little yeah. joey up the street has yeah so as we look at causes i think three of these these first three i want to talk about kind of are different facets of the same prism the first is market saturation which we just talked about mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. all these different platforms were coming out and it was confusing so that leads us right into the next one market confusion so not only was there tons to pick from it was hard i mean think about adults today what are their kids like, you know, I don't know 
what Pokemon you like or what, you know, mm-hmm. weird Nickelodeon show you, I, I don't know. <laughs> and so parents were like, it was easy when it's just buy an Atari or don't. But when it was, yeah. there are 20 different things to pick from, it's confusing. So you're frustrated. And that led to the third facet, which is customer fatigue, meaning it didn't slow down. It's not like there was a big rush and then we leveled out. It was still climbing. Mm-hmm. You said it, Mo. More developers, like you had Activision and a Magic and US Games and all these people making stuff, making games, making new consoles, making new platforms, and enough already. You know, it just got to that point. Yeah. Um, actually, that brings a point. Like George, like you kind of mentioned before, or you alluded to with the with the previous segment. You can only have one, right? Yeah. I, can, I How yeah. many people had multiples of these? Because he said they were too expensive. Mm-hmm. There's several reasons, by the way. It's not just the fact that these things cost a large amount of the average family salary at the time. That's mm-hmm. the first reason, right? Kid walks up, mom, dad, I want a 5,200. That's $300. You're out of your little child mind. Go outside right. and throw a stick and have fun, <laughs> right? The rocks at your friends. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But there's another facet too. What else did families not have multiples of in their homes at this point? Televisions. Yep. Televisions. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Right. Place to plug it How in. How many systems are you going to hook up to one television? You're only going to hook up one system to that living room TV with those little screw with things the on the, the back, back and that converter. <laughs> with the two, yeah. Yeah. And if your parents also lived in an area which maybe was developing or had cable television, which was a new thing at this point as well, your parents were not going to give up the connections on the back of that TV for the cable television and your game console. So there was all kinds of, you know, ways that that had, and parents didn't want to figure that out for their child. They were just like, nope, screw you, junior you're going to wait or go play at a friend's house mm-hmm. whose parents it's, don't have cable or whatever. That's why you had the hand-me-down black and white TV. That's why the Atari mm-hmm. has a TV type switch so you could play the games in black and yes. white because right. you probably didn't have the color. You had whatever they upgraded from. That's mm-hmm. when you got to play your, your Atari or whatever on. Now, you kind of teed this one up earlier, George, when you're talking a little bit about the game quality. So mm-hmm. think about sure. this. Initially, you know who made games for the Fairchild? Fairchild. Fairchild. You know they made games for ColecoVision? Coleco. ColecoVision. But yep. in 1979, there's no such thing as a third-party developer. Didn't exist. Atari made games for Atari. That's all there was. Nobody ever conceived that it would be any different. But as we've talked about several times before in video and on podcast, Activision, the first third-party dev, was formed because they were fed up working for Atari. They weren't getting money Mm -hmm. for the successes. They weren't getting recognition. They weren't getting their credit. So they left four developers, Rockstar developers, by the way, to form Activision. That was in 79. By 1982, there were more than 30 third-party developers who said, oh crap, if they can do it, we can do it. There was nothing in the Atari that prevented anyone from doing that. And that was true of television and Kaleek, all the platforms had never conceived that someone would make games. And you know what? They weren't all Activision. A lot of them were just making whatever they could make to get a quick buck because they didn't, they didn't care about the reputation of the console. They just needed to turn a profit. Right. One big point that you make in that, the four guys who left to form Activision were all Rockstar developers, right? Right. Mm -hmm. The 700 guys that needed to be employed into these 30 companies to throw out the shovelware were not rock stars. These were like minor league talents at best. Why? Mm-hmm. Because this was a brand new industry that didn't have decades of training and development yep. and systems where you have masters and apprentices <laughs> learning how to do this stuff. Right now, it's a way live. Yeah. Yeah. We're like, we're in like 
fifth generation almost of game developers at this point. We're 50 years out. These guys, now it's more about developing how to build the better game more than we need talented people because there's a billion talented people out there. Yeah, Yeah. huge, huge workforce, right? And I remember it's like some of those games that came out, like they would have these flashy boxes. They would have, they they paid all the money was spent on the the box and the cartridge, all that stuff. Look, Mm -hmm. and then the games just like, we're crap. I mean, just total, yeah. total crap. And then uh, if you're a kid and you're spending, I mean, cartridges were not cheap back then. You know, they were like no. what, 30 bucks no. or so, 30 bucks, or $35, like, yeah. something like that. $35. Yeah. You spent your $35 that you had on a game and it blows. <laughs> One, you're not going to play that game and you're probably not going to play that system anymore. Yeah. Or they would put it out at like 20 bucks. Like, look how cheap it is. And so you spend your 20 bucks on that and it's super crap. So you might have been better off just throwing the money away. So yeah. discounts didn't even help because they weren't worth the 20. Yep. So let's say that you had $30 to spend in 1980. Do you know how much that is today? You know, we talk about like our bucks, AAA right? games, 60. Yeah. A hundred and sixteen dollars today wow yeah <sighs> yeah we lose our minds at 60 right now mm-hmm. no i know i still lose my yeah. mind over that Jeez. <laughs> yeah. mm. now mo just pays it he has a stack of triple a games he uh, can't get you know <laughs> i'm pulling a george i'm just gonna buy it yeah <laughs> right i mean the other thing we have to talk about though that this was also the beginning of the dawn of the home computer right? that's right okay. Fair. Is when Atari came out with an awesome, you know, computer, right? Mm-hmm. IBM came out with their PC Junior, Radio Shack, the Trash 80, you know, Commodore 64, <laughs> the VIC-20. Yeah. And they did more than just play games, right? Yeah. Right. They were multi-use systems. Right. So you could do many. So I think that's an easier sell to your parents. Like, oh, I could buy this and I could do my homework on it. Like no one ever did. Right. But still, you could say you did. <laughs> that's, what, that's what you said to get the computer. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But that was additional competition up against these consoles. It was like, not mm-hmm. even other consoles. Now, just go buy a computer, forget about the console. There's another yeah. problem, right? Now, here's the thing. In 1982, this is right before, and you were talking about Galaxy on the 5200 was right before mm-hmm. the bubble, George. Right. Now, there's a flood of new companies. At this point, at least 50 different companies. Later, there were more. They produced between 1 and 2 million cartridges, plus Atari had produced about 60 million that year. Estimates said that amount of product was at least 200% of what the market was demanding, way beyond what they needed or wanted. So here they made all this, couldn't sell it, or they send it to stores, and the stores said, oh, you got to buy back this inventory. Nobody wanted it. And now the company started to get this log jam of like, well, wait a minute. How are we going to make new stuff when we got an inventory? inventory of 30 yeah. million cartridges that we couldn't get rid of last year and welcome to 1983. And that's yeah. where we, that's where it starts to percolate. Yeah. There's one other factor though. And I think it's important to talk about it because it's the one that gets mentioned the least when we talk about this subject, when we talk about this subject, it's always, there's a bunch more systems out there. There's a bunch more developers out there. There's a flood in the market. People are confused. They don't know what to buy. Well, one reason why they weren't buying is because we were also going through a major recession in exactly. the late 70s and early it. 80s oh, that shit, people yeah. don't associate with a game crash, but it absolutely influenced and impacted this situation. You look at, we had the oil embargo, right? Through the Carter administration. Remember the gas mm-hmm. lines out yep. in front? Young yep. people aren't going to remember that, but yeah. we actually had to wait in line at gas <laughs> yep. pumps, not because of a natural disaster, but Down just because street. somebody not in just a different country said, no, yeah. fuck yeah. you, you're not getting any more oil. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then 
we had Reagan, who was elected president in 1980, and he, you know, going to bring America and make it this great thing. But it took time for that economy to rebound. It yeah. wasn't probably really until his like the end of his first presidential session to the really into this second run that the economy really did the boom greed 1980s thing that we all know mm -hmm. the 1980s for the first third of that decade yeah. we were in bad situations financially yeah. and that whole recovery wasn't until the end of this crash it wasn't until it started to right. perk its way back up in 85 86 you're right exactly oh yeah so tons of causes that led to it it wasn't just one thing people love to say it was because et was so bad no that was a factor but it was <laughs> it was more of a symptom than a cause it was because of this backlog because of this proliferation because of the volume so here we are guys we're all alive in 1982 we're all playing atari okay but we're all about two years off, each of us. So before we get out of this segment, we're talking about the causes of this crash. Mm -hmm. I want to know if you had any awareness that it was creeping up, that was happened. Was there anything happened at the stores or amongst your friends or anything? Did you at all see some kind of a change coming? I see Mo nodding. Go ahead. Yeah, oh, yeah. You saw cartridges in bargain bins. Yeah. You mm -hmm. never saw that. You never, ever. They're always, they were behind the counter, behind glass because kids would steal them right. so much. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Now you see like this baskets of them. They're the basket like, out in front in the mall outside of the store, like where they have yeah. the, the hoppy the hoppy dogs now, you know, work, 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 work right. out there. It was in, outside of the store for five and bucks a piece. Ten dollars or five dollars. Yeah, it's you know? crazy. Well, yeah. It was ridiculous. So I said that's yeah. a is a problem. <laughs> yeah. George, anything that percolates? You were a little younger, so maybe I was. were you oblivious to the the financial situation, or what did you think? One thousand percent. Honest to goodness, you can quote me on this. I did not see this fucking coming at all. I was 11, <laughs> yeah. 12 years old when this thing happened. I was just sitting there with my little thumbs on my little CX-40 joystick playing Pac-Man to my heart's content. And <laughs> you got to remember, like we talked about in last week's episode, I was also more of an athletic child. So video mm -hmm. games were only part of my day. They were not all of my day secondary. like some people. Sure. And yeah. so I... I got the things I wanted. I played them. My friends and I would come to my house or their house and we would play the different consoles, but it wasn't the whole thing of our lives. We were still young enough that that stuff just wasn't hitting mm -hmm. our It was a part of play, not a focus, not a focal right. point. Yeah. 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 I mean, it was certainly one of my focal points. I mean, we did a lot of playing outside and stuff that we've talked about on the show, but so I'm right in between you guys and I certainly... Looking back, I can see all the things happening. I remember seeing them. I remember the bargain bins, Mo. I remember mm. that companies were like, well, wait a minute. They said that game was coming out. That was two years ago. What mm. happened to that? You know, it started, but I just like, I wasn't old enough at that point to understand that businesses could collapse. I just thought, oh, they changed their mind or something. Now, looking back, it's like, oh yeah, I was standing in the middle of the fire, but I didn't know the forest was on fire. I thought it was just a fire in front of me. <laughs> And turns out I was living in the middle of it, looking back and I'm like, oh yeah, I see all the evidence. I see all the signs. But as a kid, it was a positive impact because games were cheaper. I got more games oh. to play. Yeah, the quality was going down, but it was a quality drop with a quantity increase. So I kind of still had lots of fun. It wasn't until later that I looked back and saw why they got so cheap. Mm -hmm. So to continue John's forest fire metaphor, <laughs> Mo ran away screaming, calling for a fire truck. 
John understood there was a fire in front of him and stepped back a little bit, and I was roasting marshmallows. <laughs> Ooh, a fire. You know. Yep, sounds about right. <laughs> okay, so we saw what led up to this. We've talked about its causes. We get back from the break. We're going to talk about how it impacted the industry and the economy in general. We talked about it was not just here, but around the world. We're going to talk all about that as soon as we get back. What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On PressBox Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on PressBox Access. Each episode of Gen X Grown Up has show notes loaded with links where you can learn more about our topics. And there's even more to see and hear over at GenXGrownUp.com. I'd like the most popular home video game system ever. Ah, the system you want is the Atari 2600. That's so fast. I want a system that can play hundreds of games. Oh, then what you want is the Atari 2600. But I'd like the system that can also play educational games for my children. Then what you want is the Atari 2600. Fine, but I want a real low price. Oh, the Atari 2600 is priced incredibly low. That's what I want. The Atari 2600. Now with its new exciting games at a new low price. So we're now like mid 1983. The bubble has well and truly burst. It's 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 a downward spiral that we're on until we get to the end of 85. Uh, we just talked about a couple of the impacts of the crash. Kind of in the last segment, we mentioned that games went in the bargain bin. And so people that previously couldn't afford games at the $35, $40 level, whatever they were, they could afford them at 5 or $10. I've talked to a lot of people who said, I didn't know there was a crash. I didn't get into games until 84 because they were finally <laughs> cheap enough that I could get them. So you could say that's a positive impact on gamers, but not the industry in general. Now, I was looking on Atari Age, mm-hmm. and you can go through, they have a database of every game ever released for any Atari mm-hmm. console. Uh, and so speaking of the 2600, and I keep going back to that one because we it's a commonality we all have and know, and is also the biggest. Right. They show in their database 158 different publishers developed for the Atari wow. VCS. That's crazy. Yeah. And only 10% of all games published accounted for 75% of the revenue. So 90% yeah. of the games were trash or not selling. They were just wow. being published. Yeah. So yeah, that's <laughs> that's market saturation in yeah, statistical one hundred and one. Yeah, that's exactly what is. that is. Yeah, holy yeah. cow! So companies started folding. So you yeah. have smaller developers like uh, Apollo Games, uh, U.S. Games. They just went away. They went bankrupt and folded. Mm-hmm. And then to compound the problem, stores who now have their stock, who normally when it doesn't sell can return it to the company. Let's call the company. Do do do. The number you've dialed is not in service at this time. They're not there. <laughs> to buy yeah. back this stock. So now stores are eating it. Yeah, I mean, you think about back then, remember when you would get a new game, whether it be for the Atari VCS or maybe a Commodore 64, I distinctly remember looking in the back of some of these manuals and seeing Joe Schmo wrote this game, write him at address, blah, blah, and it would be his personal address, yeah. address or something. Yeah, the game especially manual, Activision, yeah. Right, that you could reach out to these people. That's how 
fly by night some of these publishers were like literally it was a post office box in delaware and the company was gone as soon as they sold their stock out to sears or kmart or whoever was hawking these cartridges to you know the masses out there it's Mm -hmm. it's crazy how it was completely unregulated it was the wild wild west of business and video games coming together yeah yeah and even some relatively successful makers of games like iMagic like they make some games mm-hmm. that are actually pretty decent oh yeah Atlantis and Dragonfire and yeah exactly yeah. Cosmic Arc yeah they were going to go public decided not to and then they went bankrupt because they just wow. they just had to lose they lost everything I mean imagine going from IPO one day and being excited to, to gone shutting the doors <laughs> what a roller coaster Jesus yeah. mm. well Activision's the biggest they were the first mm-hmm. they saved their bacon by actually paying attention to the market Atari didn't pay attention to the market yeah Activision paid attention and they're like you know what let's make computer games because computers mm-hmm. were one of the main competitions it's like they jumped on whatever boat was not currently going down and said yeah. we'll do that <laughs> so they're bigger than they well did they just get sold I think Microsoft just purchased them or something yeah, but Microsoft look, just they're them or still something. extant they're still making stuff still around. they have a reputation that's not awesome yeah. but they're still alive and they started in 82 to your point they were four rock star developers mm-hmm. and they knew their industry right? right better than probably anybody else on either side yeah. of the fence But that story is okay. The story that everybody wants to talk about when we go through the 83 (laughs) game crash is the one, John, I want to hear from you because you have done arguably one of my favorite videos on the icon of the 1983 game crash. The poster child. The Atari (laughs) landfill with the ET cartridge that everybody knows and people swear up and down left, right, and center. You're one of the few people that actually went out and bought one of these things. I did. <laughs> and yeah. the time was just a an rumor. auction and has it in a frame and yeah. it smells like garbage. It but does. <laughs> I want to hear what your thoughts are on the Atari landfill as the icon of the game crash. Yeah. Well, and it's fascinating. And you mentioned E.T., which is, you know, Mo, you said it, the poster child for the crash. People mm-hmm. go, E.T., the worst game ever. They clearly never played any other games on the 2600. There's way worse. <laughs> right. There were a lot of worse. Way worse. It's way below X expectations for that Christmas season. Yes, but it's not the worst game ever. The Atari landfill, it started, you said it too, Mo, it started as a rumor. It was an urban legend. Did you hear the Atari buried a bunch of shit in a landfill? No, No. that's silly. Why would you do that? Well, we just talked about what happened in 82. They double produced what they needed. They made like 60 million. They needed like 30 million or whatever it was. Whatever I said is half of what they made is what they needed. Too many. They made too many. Too way too many. So they not only had more than they could ship, they were getting returns because the games like E.T were underperforming. People said, oh, they're not buying them or it's bad word of mouth. Right. So here Atari has these mountains of of stock, of inventory. And it's not just E.T. It's every game. The problem is they couldn't move games. And so their options were A, slash the prices and ship them, Mm -hmm. therefore undermining the credibility of Atari as a powerhouse because why is it on clearance? Or get rid of them in a way that people couldn't just go and grab them out of the trash. So they had already laid off 30% of their workers They had already moved manufacturing out of the United States to Taiwan and Hong Kong, but now they Mm. had these empty warehouses of, and apparently it's illegal to burn stuff for insurance reasons. So what they chose to do (laughs) was they hired a bunch of trucks and they hauled all their inventory, that surplus crap, buried it in a landfill in Alamogordo, New Mexico, covered it with concrete so kids couldn't go out there and dig up Atari games. (laughs) Right. And just, that was it. That was it. Mm. Yeah. 
So they didn't want to further devalue. They thought they could come out of this, right? Like, well, this is our livelihood. We don't want to devalue it. We're going to be in business for the long term. So when it comes out the other end, we don't have all this old stock. Well, they didn't come out the other end. They buried their mistakes. They buried their lack of being able to stay with their finger on the pulse of the industry. And ultimately, they buried themselves. It's interesting that it was likely a financial decision by a bean counter, right? Because what are you talking about? You're talking about tons of stock, like you said, sitting in warehouses. What's the cost of that? Well, you've got the warehouse rental costs straight off the bat, right? The Mm -hmm. square footage cost on those warehouses was probably way crazier than any revenue they could have been bringing in, even in their projections two or three years down the road. If they would have said to themselves, hey, let's just wait this out, let it reset (laughs) for Mm -hmm. about a year or two, and then we'll have these cartridges and we can sell them as like nostalgic or blah, 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 or hey, remember this thing? It's back again, you know, trying to bring back the old to the new. And the bean counter said, we got to pay for warehouse space for three mm-hmm. years. No, yep. just bury the shit. It's mm-hmm. cheaper. Put it in a truck, drive yep. it over there. They're not going to fly it on the plane <laughs> and just bury it somewhere close here that nobody will ever think to go. It's yeah. way cheaper to just put a bullet in its head. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I used to work for a company that did manufacturing and stuff. And the guy told me, he says, you know, he had stuff. He says, I wish I could just take it out in the parking lot and burn it. Right. Because not mm-hmm. only is it, he's, it's taking up space that I could have something that sells it. There you go. Yep. <laughs> yep. You know, instead of sitting there. So it definitely was, um, yeah, I think the, the burying it idea, I mean, it's one way to cure your overstock problem. That's for sure. I mean, it totally well, that, just gets rid it of it. It did. It did. Isn't it sad too? Like most of this was brand new stock, still sealed in shrink wrap. If Look, I'd love to go back in time and pay for that warehouse so that I would have all this new stock today. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> you never know. They say the full effects of this crash weren't really felt until 85. And it was that time analysts doubted the long-term viability of the industry. Mm-hmm. Full stop, period. They said, look, yep. we tried it. Video games aren't a thing anybody wants. It's not going to be a thing any longer. Now, again, we know how that turned out, but it looked that bleak. That bleak. Yeah. Well, I mean, it dropped, you dropped 97% or something crazy. I mean, what are the chances of it going back to that level? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I'd said earlier that while it's mostly known as the North American crash, here's the thing. Ripples of it were felt worldwide. The estimated $42 billion market in 1982, including arcade, console, and computer games, worldwide had dropped to $14 billion by 85. Wow. That's well two beyond. Two-thirds. The U.S. was only 3.2 yeah. billion of that. So two-thirds slashed. So wow. yeah, it was just a North American thing. Yeah, we caused it. Yeah, Atari was the main culprit. <laughs> but it's far yeah, from a North ET American Atari reason thing. We, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's not BT. <laughs> no. All right. So we've talked a lot at the end of each one of these segments so far, and we've given ourselves a question. I came up with one just as we were discussing this. So I'm going to throw this one at you guys. You haven't had any chance to prepare, Mm -hmm. but the market has crashed. We're not getting any new stuff, right? So I'm wondering what you guys did instead of playing new video games. Oh, Hmm. that's, that's an easy one for me. I could jump into it. Yeah. Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. There you go. Big role playing game. That was, I mean, that was actually big, even when the stuff was still hot, because we just played a little bit of 2600. But as time went on, we wound up playing more DD and a lot less, arcade. Gotcha. Most arcade you know, console games. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, John? 
I played some D&D, but it was a lot of board games, certainly. Um, okay. Lots of board games, a lot of Monopoly, stuff like that. Also, that was 82, 83 was also kind of the rise of the electronic board game that kind of gave me that video game oh, feel. Oh, right. Like Stop mm, Thief yeah. and things like that. They had a little calculator mm-hmm. type gadget with it. Because, yeah, Dark Tower. Because I love the <laughs> nerdy kind of computery thing and companies were looking ways to merge those. So fewer video games were out. Again, I didn't realize at the time, but now looking back, yeah, I shifted to like computerized or computery board games became a big thing for me. What go. about you? Did you just go outside and play ball? What'd you do, George? <laughs> Mostly. Um, yeah. I, I did. I was one of the Commodore 64 converts. So yeah. I shifted yeah. from consoles to C64. Um, so it was a combination of that and doing more activities outside, which was my, you know, proclivity anyway. So for me, the crash wasn't a noticeable thing like it was for you guys. I mean, I, I just did something different. And that's why I thought it was an interesting question because everybody Mm -hmm. had a different perspective depending upon what age they were at Mm -hmm. at that point and their involvement in video games. It's funny you bring that up because when I was a kid, um, I had to write a story on depression and we had to interview a relative that lived through the depression. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's one of those (laughs) things. So I went to talk to my grandmother. She had no idea there was depression. She lived on a farm. Right. <laughs> it didn't apply <laughs> to me. Completely self-sufficient. Yeah. They're like, it, you know, she's a lot more kids who came by, but you know, I didn't know there was depression. Huh. Right. Yeah. It's all about perspective, isn't it? All yeah. about perspective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a very short report. <laughs> short report. <laughs> Well, hey, podcast listener. My name is Vince, and I'm the host of a show called The RR Show. It stands for Reddit Readings. We're going to sit down twice a week, and I'm going to bring you the most entertaining stories from all of the best subreddits that exist online. Things like malicious compliance, petty revenge, hey, lady, I don't work here. Oh, there's so much more. Lots of great stories and things you won't believe. Like the one time uh, this dude was caught in a bathroom with his friend and he was slapping them because that was the only way that he could actually legitimately help them. A mall cop comes in with a taser. Oh, yeah, the rest is history. It's going to be fun. There is, uh, well, I don't know, I got like 20 seconds left, so I don't got much more time to tell you another story. But just join me on The RR Show. It's from Evergreen Podcast, produced in partnership with Wessler Media. So The RR Show. Wherever you get podcasts, subscribe today. And uh, it's like an adult story time. Let's hang out together. The RR Show. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. If you're a diehard Gen X grown-up, you can pledge your support by clicking join on YouTube or by becoming a patron at genxgrownup.com slash Patreon. The fun is back. Oh, yes, sirree. It's the 2600 from Atari. It's the video system with classics galore. From space invaders to cars that roar. A real hip joystick controls the screen. Solaris is hot and midnight magic's mean. And one more thing, it's got a special low price. Under 50 bucks. 50 bucks? Now, isn't that nice? The fun is back. Oh, yes, sirree. It's the 2600 from Atari. So it was a dark, dark dark time for console games back then <laughs> in the early and mid 80s but yeah, was. there was some light in the horizon right a particularly one console came back and i would say single-handedly revitalized the entire mm-hmm. industry right absolutely and, and yeah. that was the nes like who yeah. knew i mean people probably thought they were crazy for jumping back into that and but they, you know, and they, they were did, crazy they yeah, were crazy no, to bring in the north american market but i think they saw the reason why it crashed and they took steps to not repeat those same problems well there sure. you go that's right i mean so 
in Japan, they already had the Famicom, which is what the mm-hmm. Nintendo Entertainment System is. And it was doing fine over there. And like, right. we would like to get it into the market. But North American stores said, ha ha ha, fool me once yeah. or twice yeah, or I'm five times, shame on you. Fool me a 20th <laughs> time, shame on me. I'm not doing that again, right? They'd lost all that money. And Nintendo first, as you said, Mo, they were smart to go, hey, this isn't a video game. It's an entertainment system. Look, mm-hmm. it's got a little robot. It's got a little light gun. <laughs> it's it's like a little computer. It's like a board game that hooks up to your TV. It was a Trojan horse of a home console. Sure. Yeah. They tricked companies, stores, industry into, oh, this isn't a video game. We can try it. And then, look, we had had nothing new in North America for three years. And the last we remember right. was ColecoVision and Atari, and it all died. And the NES was a huge step in quality of the games. Oh, yeah. In, well, just baseline mm. capability of the hardware. Yeah. The resolution and sounds and everything was amazing. One thing to note, if you've watched any of those documentaries we talked about earlier, Earlier, the games that made America or blah, 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 whatever mm-hmm, you want to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, toys they that made had us, whatever. a guerrilla marketing campaign, especially Mo in your neck of the woods there in New York. Nintendo of America actually went around to the stores on foot carrying consoles to these stores and begging them to wow. put them on the shelves for the holiday season. I think it was Christmas 85, something like that. But they were like, this is not a video game. Like to John's point, this yeah. is an entertainment system. It's got a robot. Kids will get entertainment and educational value out of this thing. And it will sell. They were literally having to be salesmen of yeah. what is now arguably the largest name in video game mm-hmm. history that sells yeah, itself the nintendo <laughs> entertainment system yeah. yeah i mean people looking back on this now go why why would they have to convince people <laughs> yeah. but at that point yep. it was their right. name was mud so to speak i mean it's just crazy yeah that they had to go through those links and did what they did yeah they had to beg borrow and steal to get into the stores you're right yeah. the smarter thing that they did and you alluded to a little bit mo was they learned from the crash that we had here and they're like what caused it they looked and they analyzed what were the contributing factors Mm -hmm. and one of the big ones that we talked about was all these third-party developers making all these games with no sort of quality control Mm -hmm. you look at a nintendo box and it has that seal of nintendo quality yeah right yeah and that's on damn near every cartridge what they did was Mm -hmm. they said hey i think think it's on everyone third-party developers we love you here's what we're gonna do we're gonna authorize two games you can release for our cartridge per year period right the game won't work unless you buy this chip from us the chip goes in your cartridge the chip has to talk to the chip on the console if it's not there it won't work furthermore when you release your two you better be damn well sure that you're very best because you're not going to get another two until next year Mm -hmm. and so now companies were like whoa whoa whoa, we can't just shit out games we got to work hard (laughs) and make them good because we just get two a year (laughs) and yet still seven up released cool spot i don't know how that happened well i think that company didn't care about doing any more after that right it was a they were yeah. fine with one that year yeah. that's not to say there aren't turds on the nintendo entertainment system or there aren't sure. turds today but what there aren't are 50 or 60 different platforms and 50 or 60 different third-party developers putting out 20 or 30 games a year that didn't happen right. anymore no. now mm-hmm. when you got a nintendo game you're like okay they cost 40 bucks but it's got the seal of quality on it it's gonna be good nintendo says it is and by and large they were yeah 
Yeah. I mean, that, that seal really meant that I mean, because they actually looked at these games. I mean, they didn't just like sure. slap that thing on there. Mm-hmm. They actually really looked at the games yeah. and made sure that the, the quality Apple was Apple iStore thing, the iPhone's yeah. Apple Store did not develop this thought. No. Yeah, this it was, was definitely not original thing. Nintendo. Yeah, that, that walled yeah. garden of you can only sell it if you mm-hmm. go through us kind of thing, that started with Nintendo. As far, yeah. as, far as I know, electronics, yeah. certainly. Yeah, for sure. And see, like you said, John, it made the games like you knew that the, any game you bought was at least going to be a certain level of quality. Now, you may not mm-hmm. like the game. Customer right? confidence. Yeah. Yeah. We just talked about that. Fixing all the problems. Proliferation mm-hmm. of stuff. There's not any more games in town. Quality problems. Now we're only putting out quality stuff. Market confusion. It's very simple now. There's just us. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's there's one other factor to consider as well, right? You mm-hmm. talk about that quality. Well, that quality's got to compare to something. Their baseline is Super Mario Brothers, mm-hmm. yeah, right? The genius of that game <laughs> was oh not just in how good it was. It was that it was selected to be the representation of what that system could do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and every time you saw that quality stamp on a cartridge after that, that's what you compared it to. Hey, yeah. if this thing says the same as Mario Brothers, <laughs> it's going to be at least as good as that. I'm willing to spend my 30 or $40. That's a hell of a baseline. <laughs> yeah. Right. And also, don't forget, I mean, Nintendo advertised the rap out of these on TV. I mean, I remember just seeing the commercials for Nintendos just everywhere. Every it, they planted that seed in mm-hmm. every kid's brain that you yeah. had to get one of these. <laughs> yeah, because they spent a fortune on that advertising. I'm saying it worked. It definitely worked. I mean, yeah. there's another system that came into play around that same time period too that allowed the systems to get into more hands mm-hmm. for a smaller amount of money. Don't forget, video games were also at video rental houses. Oh, yeah, that's right. That it just so kind of started, started popping up that's along right. with VHS right. and beta, of course. Because not every mother and father could inf- could afford an mm-hmm. NES, but mm-hmm. for $10 for three days, you could go rent the system, mm-hmm. rent another game for $5, <laughs> and your kid felt like you just gave him the best gift in the world for three days. And then he could move on to something else because his mood changed or whatever. <laughs> and then a two-week period later... You could give another $15 and give him that same feeling again with a different game. It's a brilliant strategy that Nintendo didn't come up with, but mm. it still helped drive the industry forward. I remember renting those consoles too. It's like it came mm-hmm. in a oh, yeah. big black nuclear football right. satchel. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to keep from dropping it and damaging it. And it was huge. And like the console didn't even come out of the yeah, box. And you couldn't unlock it. Only the little, only yes. the like front the flap of the NES yeah. was yep. usable. Yep. Yeah, it was latched in that thing. It was like a boot on your car, but on this console. Right. And then, yeah, or if you had a console, George, you could just go and rent the game. Don't spend 40 just bucks. Just the game. Yeah. Just three or four or five bucks to rent the game for three days or something, Test it right? out first before mm-hmm. you decide, exactly. Right? exactly. That's right. Because now you, it was a risk-free way of seeing if the game, if you liked it. Yeah. Take some of that risk out. You're eliminating all the factors that led to the crash. So here we are coming yes. out the back end. So here we are now. 40 years on from the inception of the crash, how are video games now? The industry of video games, I'm talking across, you know, computers and consoles and everything as an industry is larger than movies and television revenue combined. Really? Yeah. Wow. I would I would not yeah. have thought that. I would it's have thought It's the number movies. one entertainment. In, in, in industry. Dang, in, in, whatever. Yeah, yeah, industry. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, they mm. make that's why you see people spend four years on a game. That's why the Grand Theft Auto 6 trailer had 100 million views in 36 hours, and it's still two years away. It's because right. it's two years away. Oh my God. Yeah, there's enough yeah. consumer confidence and trust in the industry now that Jeez. it's an absolute powerhouse worldwide, mm. and it almost died 40 years ago. Wow. Almost wow. just by the breath. <laughs> <laughs> So to get us to that place that it's the biggest industry, entertainment industry in the world, at some point, all three of us probably got back into video gaming and consoles. So yeah. to end the show, what was your re-entry into, <laughs> we, we had the drop off, we went to Dungeons and Dragons, we went to play in ball outside. George, let's start with you. When did yeah. you turn back around and come back in to home video gaming? I probably had the latest re-entry of all three of us. So okay. 2000 or 2000. 2001, I can't remember oh, exactly which year. Wow. Yeah. When I met Grace and we were getting married, uh, she had a Sega system. No, I guess I did have the Sega Dreamcast. Yeah. Oh, okay. So before I met Grace, okay. I keep forgetting about that little system because I only had a couple of games on it and it really just sat on a shelf. I still have it. The Sega Dreamcast. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that was the the next system I got back into, I didn't have the Nintendos, either the NES or the Super Nintendo, mm -hmm. but the Sega Dreamcast I had, and I played that uh, Shin Mew. That was the game on yeah, that system yeah. that I loved. Yeah. There were three sports games, the first of the 2K stuff, I think it was. But yeah, 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 I guess that was the first system I got back into with was the Sega Dreamcast. Yeah. Well, for me, it was in 1991. I was in college and I was addicted to Street Fighter 2. And there was a version <laughs> of Street Fighter 2 on the Super Nintendo. And I uh, realized uh, if I, it's so, so good. It was so close to the arcade. It was amazing. I realized that if I spent the money to buy a Super Nintendo secondhand, I would actually save money. <laughs> I was regularly, <laughs> I was regularly spending 10 bucks a weekend on Street Fighter 2. Regularly. Wow. wow. Regularly. And <laughs> George, all that money siphoning through that damn little putt-putt video game course back behind that old mall. Right. That's where I mm -hmm. went and bought 10 bucks worth of tokens every Saturday. Yeah. But I bought a Super Nintendo in 1991, and that's all I bought it for was to play Street Fighter 2. And <laughs> wow. loved it. And then, of course, I picked up more things over time. But that was, that was my re-entry. I was in college mm. and trying to save money on playing that. What about you, well, Mike? Yeah, I was a little bit later too coming back into it. I think my first one I got was a GameCube. Oh wow. Yeah. Wow. And and I actually got it mostly for my kids. So not even an N64? Nope. Never had an N64. Nope. Wow. Um Dang. because yeah, because again, I think it might be because of our age differences too, but I was married at that point. I was, you know, right. mm -hmm. you know, trying to do the whole adulting thing. And that's <laughs> for the birds. What a huge mistake it was. <laughs> but then, you know, I did because the GameCube came out in the late nineties, if I'm not mistaken, right? Ninety six, I think. Feels and right. Probably around there. Yeah. Right in yeah, there. there was a yeah. game that my kids wanted to play on it. Um, and I got it. I think I probably got like ninety seven, somewhere around there. But, but did yeah, that that's get what I got you it. back in or did you play anything on it? When did you well, personally? I, once I start bought it, playing? then I started playing it. Okay. So once you had it at the house, <laughs> so it was a gateway drug. The house, <laughs> then, yeah, it was a gateway. Because then it went okay. to the Xbox three sixty and blah blah it's blah. It's actually that point. later than that. I had to go look it up because the GameCube was the one I was thinking that I first yeah, got back into when Grace and I got married. Two thousand one's when the game really I thought that was late nineties. Okay. Yeah, Dang. no, actually, that's yeah. that's about right because my kids would be yeah. yeah Rachel been nine, so that yeah, that's what the age I was buying it for him. We all played our part in resurrecting. We didn't buy the NES because we were like we're that bridge gap. Like yeah. <laughs> I was too old. I was in high school. I would say my girlfriend's little brother had an NES. I never did, but I played his sometimes. That was all because <laughs> I was in I was in computers like you were. You know, George it was like, whatever yeah. the next thing was. We did our part in resurrecting the industry. So <laughs> pat more. ourselves on the back. Good job. <laughs> this is a big topic. Thank
thank you guys for your help researching it. It's it's a lot to look into and talk about. There's so many numbers, and people are still today talking about what caused it, how could it have been avoided. All that it's it's a philosophical debate for the ages. But for us, I'm just happy that it came back. So here we yeah. are in the future, enjoying video games once again. <laughs> Before we get out of this show, as always, I want to take just a second to thank all of the fantastic human beings who voluntarily support us with just a few dollars a month over on Patreon. You guys literally keep the show going. You keep us continuing to do what we do. Something we're giving away for free and you're like, we want to support you, help you pay the bills, pay for the Zencaster where we record it, pay for the <laughs> everything that it costs us to get stuff done. If you would like to help these people keep Gen X Grown Up a viable media outlet, it's easy. For as little as a dollar a month, head over to patreon.com slash genxgrownup. Take a few boxes, log in, make up a password, help us out. We're infinitely grateful if you do and super grateful to those of you that continue to support us today. Yes. So. Avoid the Gen X Grown Up crash of 2023 right. <laughs> or whatever. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Oversaturation. That means in 40 years, somebody would be doing a podcast of that. 40 years ago, Gen X Grown Up was on the precipice of greatness when all the Patreon logged off. Oh, I don't want to do that podcast. Thank you so much to all of you that do support us over there. That is going to wrap it up for this Backtrack edition of our show. Don't worry. We'll be back in two weeks with another one. Next week is the standard edition of our show. Until then, I'm John. George, thank you so much for being here. Yes, sir. Mo, you know I appreciate you. Always fun, man. Fourth listener, it's you. We all appreciate most of all though and we'll talk to you again next time bye bye see you guys take care everybody Gen X Grown Up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com unacceptable for grown ups your dinner cannot just be french fries basically life sucks as a grown up yeah I'm good on the promo I gave George more to say because <laughs> he looked like he wanted to talk. He does. He always looks like it's usually a safe bet. <laughs> yeah. I never shut up. <laughs> In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't come that on. bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on CandairPodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network.